It's kind of like two violins on two different tables. They actually have a resonance with each other and the strings will pick up the resonance of the other. We're, as human beings, we're just like that. You know, if you think about it, it's so ordinary. It's not even, you could call it mystical, but you know, you're walking down the street somewhere and you walk by someone and you feel a connection or you feel like, ooh, that person's scary or that person, I'm drawn to that person or that person seems so sad or checked out. And so we kind of just know you know, that kind of resonance. And so how do we learn how to trust ourselves and take an experiment with starting to spend time with people who you really respect? Hello, hello, Njaymaa, my Omis. It is Raquel and welcome to Your Own Magic, a podcast for the creative and to the curious soul. And as usual, the sponsors that you may hear today and their special offers will be linked in the show notes along with ways to connect with the Your Own Magic community. And this episode is another fun episode, another expansive and enlightening episode for the human and for the soul with the brilliant Zen monk and teacher, Sensei Koshin Paley Ellison. And he has devoted his life to the application of psychotherapy and Buddhism. And he is also an author. He has an upcoming book that we'll talk about, Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion, which launches November 8th. So you may want to pre-order it. And it looks like wherever books are sold, you can pre-order it on Amazon or bookshop.org or Barnes & Noble or feel free to pre-order it from the link in the show notes. And Sensei Koshin is also a Jungian psychotherapist and the co-founder of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, which he started with his husband and we talk about that as well. There's so much we explore in this episode from untangling the many tangles of life that we all experience and living our life for ourselves to our truest values. He explores the Eightfold Path, which is one of Buddhism's foundational teachings. And so I think you'll enjoy his storytelling and his humor and his anecdotes. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and I feel like you will as well. So let's just jump into the magic, shall we? I'm ready, Sensei Koshin. Thank you so much. <laughs> See, that's a good combination, right? That's a good combination. Am I pronouncing your name right, by the way? Totally. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Sensei Koshin, I'm so honored to have you on the show with everything that you've done for the world. And I'm not going to lie, you're quite a phenomenal human. Oh, very generous. <laughs> and so I'm excited to pick your brain today. Ooh, as long as you leave a little bit left. <laughs> So what is lighting you up most in this season of your life? Service. Caring for others. Yeah. Service. Lighting me up Mm. is the joy of really connecting to other people. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you connect with a lot of people in New York. I do. And all over the world, you know, now in this time of Zoom and our global community, we're working and training and caring with people from literally all over the world. So it's so being having a life of service where it's not really about you, yeah, and yet it is also about us. <laughs> and you've dedicated oh, your oh, you hear it now? Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it a pause. We'll give it a pause. I thought it was like someone going. Oh, <laughs> oh that would be awesome. Oh. I should just say that. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought it was that. I was like, okay, why not? The vibe. Why Maybe not? Maybe there's something in, else in here that is. Okay, tell me when you can't oh. hear the background, and then we'll continue. I don't. I might even leave some of that in, because that was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'd love to hear, Sensei Koshin, about your story and what led you down so many different paths from psychotherapy, right? Buddhism and so much more and connecting with the world that you do today. I think right now, what comes to mind is thinking about this 
I didn't write this in the book, but this new book that I have, but the story of Mrs. Spillane, who was this amazing, loving English teacher in my high school in upstate New York. And Mrs. Spillane, I was not, she would taught AP English and I was not in AP English. And yet I just would see her in the hall and I just felt entranced by her because she was really there. She looked very present. And when I would look at her, she would look at me and we'd just smile. And I used to get a hall pass out of Mr. Boo Guy's uh, social science, <laughs> social studies class and go and sit outside of Mrs. Spillane's room. And she would have everyone just like lay, lay their heads on their desks and she would read poems to them. And she's like, see what this poem does to you. And it was just extraordinary. Oh, and so I would oh. often make, get hall passes so I could just go and sit outside her room and listen to her. And cause I was so intrigued by one person's capacity to share what is beautiful and nurturing in this life. And it feels like a great gift to think about what you love and how do you share that. And so I think that so much of my life is really dedicated to that own inquiry and then learning how to share that with others. So what do you love and how do you share it? <laughs> <laughs> I really love the path itself, which includes lots of struggle and reality of, you know, the tangles of life and how learning how to stay with that and not having to make our discomfort such a big deal and learning how to stay with that long enough to ride it out so that we can actually learn how to be in life in a new way. And I feel like that arc and that kind of riding that wave of like, oh my God, this is so hard, this is so hard, this is so hard. You know, I've been in so many situations that were so difficult. And I think that there's something so magical about being with other people and getting the support you need to ride through that wave of difficulty so that we don't turn away from our own values. And I feel that I love the kind of the fire that tests us and how that shows like what our real character is. Cause you know, it's so easy in some ways, I think, you know, when we're feeling good and things are going well and we're feeling like cool and for us to be aligned with our values. But I think, you know, really it's those difficult times or where a great stress or great anxiety or great fear. I feel like those moments are where I learn the most about who mm, I am. Okay. Wow. You are a poet. <laughs> You gave me chills, and I'd love to explore more of this arc of the, t the tangle of life. When you're tangled in life and the fire comes at you, how do you heal? How do you transform? How, do you have any anecdotes in your own reality where you have transformed from the tangles of life or from the fires yeah, of life? So many. <laughs> and I don't, <laughs> so and many. I don't think I'm done. But what comes to mind yeah. is... You know, when I was in college and walking down a street with my friend Liz and was like with this really great girlfriend of mine. And she just turned to me, we're on this walk down the street and she just said, you know, who gets to really know you? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you seem happy and you seem, you know, buoyant and you smile a lot. And yet there seems like underneath that, there's a great sadness and who gets to really know all of you. And I remember looking at her and saying, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was so shocked by her courageous question. 
and hers. And it was such an honest question and it felt so true. And for me, that was the beginning of a really important change because I had been through, you know, earlier in my life, you know, a crazy amount of bullying and abuse of different kinds. And so I had very good reasons to kind of be hidden. And I think many of us have good reasons to stay hidden. But I also realized that in that moment, I didn't need those reasons anymore. And I didn't know how to do that. So I remember looking at Liz and she had like these blue eyes and just like looking into her blue eyes on this little tree lined street and thinking, wow, I want to do that. And I don't know how to do that. And so I knew it, I needed help. And so I found this amazing therapist actually. And he was so intense. <laughs> he was, it, but he had this, I don't even know what kind of therapy it was, but basically it was about two hours, several times a week or something like that. And, and it was very intense. It was called, oh, it was called Davin Lu, Ooh, which I don't uh, even know what that was. I've never heard of and that. And it was amazing. So the main thing is like that, how we look away. And so he would just like really just, his focus was steady and his eye gaze was constant. And so every time I would look away, he'd say, what are you avoiding? What are you avoiding? You know, we all tend to have this habit of looking away when we're, quote, thinking. And what I learned is all the looking away was I was, avo I was avoiding. And I was avoiding actually being vulnerable with him. And I was actually avoiding being vulnerable and intimate with myself. And so I was like this person who like really disidentified as angry and I disidentified as like even feeling sad. And he really over time really helped me to really discover that my vulnerability, which felt so big and raw and scary to feel that it contained, you know, from the depths of the Pacific to the height of Everest, a feeling, you know, like a huge range, which I didn't even know I had. And it was like this incredible opening into this fullness of life, like a full spectrum life where I realized, my goodness, I could feel really angry and he was okay and I was okay. I could feel really sad and everyone was okay. I could feel really jealous or resentful or joyful or exuberant and everything was okay. So it was the kind of the first experience I really had where I couldn't believe that I was actually expressing these things. And it took quite a long time to feel comfortable. And so I really saw the value of someone staying really steady with you and what happens over time when we learn to have that steadiness in ourselves. When I learned how to have that in myself, it felt like a superpower that I had started to learn much earlier in my life had come back. Yeah. That steadiness, that steadiness, as you said, though, it did take time. And mm -hmm. I think that because of the epidemic of the world of so many people just there's something blue or something sad something dark something heavy underneath yet we're all wearing smiles on our faces we all could afford to have some steadiness or learn how to tap into that space do you have any words of wisdom you would like to share to help us get into that steadiness space that you're speaking of yeah you know so it reminds me of this earlier time in my life when I just felt like things were so bad. And I went to this, I found this karate school mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like 11 or something. And I thought I needed to have a teacher. Oh, cause I had seen this star Wars and karate kid. And it was like those movies were 
so amazing to me, mostly because the heroes were really whiny. Oh. And so I could relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. You know, I understand. <laughs> They were always like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Uh-huh. I love that they were like that because I could relate to that because I felt like that inside myself. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did it. <laughs> they did it anyway. Yeah. You know, so it's like the beautiful thing of like, nah, nah, you know, whining and keep moving, keep going forward. And so I was so inspired also that in those movies, they showed these, this relationship between a teacher and a student where you could actually have a teacher, not in school, but who actually teaches you about how to live. So I decided I'd had to find someone and karate seemed like a good enough place as any. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's great. Isn't the karate kid, he's like, yeah. found a karate teacher. Yeah. I was like, okay, I could find a Definitely. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. And, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. And so in the local strip mall in the basement, there was this karate school. And I went to the karate school and it wasn't not really a karate school with, with kids classes. So I was like this little kid with, you know, all these adults. And I just remember we used to sit in Seiza, which is where you have your legs underneath yourself. And you would sit there. Mm-hmm. And he would walk before we even did all of the karate stuff, which I would thought was going to be happening. And he'd sit, he would walk around us as we were sitting there. It was so painful. And he would say, you'll never be free until you're still with your pain. And I thought, whoa, far out. <laughs> and, and that felt beginning of learning something so important and so you know to me you know I also realized like all of the kind of craziness in my life and in my family and at school like I felt that I had learned something that was causing people to cause harm which was that they, they didn't know how to be still with their pain and it made me actually feel very compassionate towards them. And I realized, oh, they don't know how to do that. So then they act crazy. And then I realized I was acting crazy too, because I didn't know how to be still with my pain. Yeah. I'm human as well. No. And, and also those around me as well, who could afford to use some stillness <laughs> and just listening to what is really going on. Yet at the same time, we all have these minds that are so easily distracted by a variety of things as we try to sit in stillness. It almost feels like those voices and those narratives and whatever other clutter is just louder and louder in our mind. If we're aware of the power of stillness, yet we still have yet to feel it resonate in its presence. And so for those that might struggle with that, though they're aware of the power of stillness, how do they let the monkey mind go? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, And so it was really very powerful. So you're asking for advice. So mm-hmm. one of the things that has always been important to me in all of these different stories and in my life is to finding people I resonate with deeply. And so what I encourage people to do is find people who you feel like their values and how they're acting in the world are congruent and spend time with those people, you know? And I think that it's kind of like uh, two violins on two different tables. I remember someone telling me about this the other day. They actually have a resonance with each other. And the strings will pick up the resonance of the other. Oh, that's beautiful. We're, as human beings, we're just like that. You know, if you think about it, it's so ordinary. It's not even, you could call it mystical, but, you know, you're walking down the street somewhere and you walk by someone and you feel a connection or you feel like, ooh, that person's scary or that person, <laughs> I'm, drawn, I'm drawn to that person or that person seems so sad or checked out. And so we kind of just know 
you know, that kind of resonance. And so how do we learn how to trust ourselves and take an experiment with starting to spend time with people who you really respect? Mm. Yeah. And just start like, and just really checking out how they embody, you know, no one is perfect. And because we're all human and who are, working with that congruence. And I feel like that I find myself so enlivened by people who are engaged in the world with their values and their actions matching. Because mm-hmm. of course, most of us, you know, know what our values are, what, what we really care about. Like, actually I love you know, sometimes randomly on like public transportation on a plane or something. If you ask someone like, oh, what do you care about? People will tell you. They know. Really? That's so, oh, that's special. Oh, I might have to take that. I might have to try that out. It's all yours, Raquel. I'll be on a plane next week. I'm going to ask the person next to me. So what do you care about? Yeah. What do you value? Yeah. (laughs) And then you ask them sometimes, I'd like to ask, and so how is your life with those values and where do you find the challenges or the, when does that get tangled up? And And we all know. It's not something that's so mysterious. And so we often, I think, don't take the time just to stop, look, and listen. I love that kindergarten teaching, you know. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, am I, am I doing that right now? Am I really connecting to who I am and what I really say I care about? And so it's beautiful as a way of, practicing it. And, and again, we need other people to connect to who, so that we can rub up against them and really kind of see like how we're doing. Yes. That helps us evolve. And also sometimes our values and what we care about evolves, which can also be difficult to accept sometimes, but also can be just completely transformative. Totally. And healing. In such a big way. <laughs> In such a big way. And also, I noticed that you talk a lot about the Eightfold Path. I remember learning about the Eightfold Path years ago. I think it was 2015 in yoga teacher training. Mm. They talked all about it. And I remember it deeply resonated with me. But, you know, it's kind of like when you learn something from high school or college or whatever, and you take the class, you love it, but then you forget about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you forget what the what it, what it was about. And I feel like this is coming back into my life for a reason. You're saying this for a reason. Because I remember it, it deeply resonated with me, but I'd love to hear from you or have you explain it and why stepping on this path is a crucial first step towards helping our lives, transforming yeah. our lives. So, yeah, so the Eightfold Path is the part of what is called the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. And it's one of the things, you know, the Buddha was, you know, just a person like you or me. And at a certain point, Mm -hmm. he was dissatisfied with, you know, his life. He was too not happy to keep looking at his phone all the time and how many followers he had, how many likes (laughs) he got, and he was like (laughs) over it. And so he began searching for what else is true, what else is possible. And then he, you know, encountered these famous four messengers, they're sometimes called, and one was, you know, a very sick person, one was a very elderly person, one was a dead body. And he was like, what, what, like, what is this all about? And his friend was like, oh, that's about, this is what happens. Like life is full of impermanence and our bodies don't last. And then he realized, well, if that's true, what am I so busy on Instagram for? (laughs) But basically, you know, like this is of course 2,600 years ago in India, but I think it's important to (laughs) I love the example though. So we can really relate. I love it. It keeps me engaged. I really feel like it's the same thing. It you is. Know, he realized what he was preoccupied with yeah. didn't really matter when, like, push comes to shove, right? Right. And so he, so he goes to all these different teachers, and so it's very much like where we are now, where, you know, he was tried out a few spirituality apps, and then he went to a yoga studio, he went to all these different teachers, and 
really felt like he was not, his question about what is this all about was not resolved. And so eventually he was trying like very extreme things. Like he even always do this now, fasting and all these different diets. <laughs> he was doing on a cleanse, you know, <laughs> he was doing all of these Quite things <laughs> that, 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 that we're still doing. Right. And yeah. and that didn't quite work. It was too extreme for him. And so then he just got really tired and was really drained. And this young girl gives him some milk and is like, and he said, oh, maybe these extreme measures are not the point. <laughs> maybe that's... Am I Buddha? Maybe I need to find... <laughs> I feel like I just went through this. <laughs> everything you just said. And I was like, I don't think extremism's for me anymore. I'm serious. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's what's so amazing, wow. right? And so, you know, he said, you know, maybe I need to... What I need to do is sit still and face my own mind. And so he went and found a tree, which is now called the Bodhi tree, which was a fig tree which are actually quite fragrant. And he sat there and he's like, I'm going to have to keep sitting here. It's kind of like what happened in my karate dojo, you know, just like you have to sit with your pain to be free. Like you have to not keep moving away, trying a million different things. And so he did. And, you know, the mythological story is like very, you know, colorful and you know the personification of all delusion and greed and anger came at him and with sexy people trying to like entice him away from that and you know throwing spears at him and so that like he would get afraid and he didn't worry about that and and so then he got really clear like I can't keep moving away you know like when we decide we're going to do something and like our friend calls and it's like, Oh, let's go hang out. You know, he was like, Nope, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do what I committed to do. And so he did. And so he sat there and just sat there. And then, you know, at a certain point, the next morning, he saw the morning star and suddenly things were clear. And he put his hand down on the ground and it says, the earth is my witness. Oh, house builder, thou art seen at last. The ridge pole is shattered. Nevermore will you build a house of sorrow. Attained is deliverance. And so what he saw was that he was the house builder of sorrow. That all of his extremes and all of his like running around trying this and that was actually just making the sorrow increase. And that there was something about just like, mm, steady down. That actually was what helped him in the real way for the first time. And so I find that so amazing and such a powerful instruction. Like I can relate to that, that that's a human story. And, and so then his first teaching was on the Four Noble Truths. He's like, okay, people, <laughs> this is what I learned, these four things. And the first one is life has suffering in it. Like we have, get tangled up, you know, we, we suffer, we get tangled. We, like, we think we value something and we act like jerks, you know, we think we value something and we get preoccupied. We think we value something and we get distracted. We really want connection and yet we're so lonely and we don't connect to people, you know, like all of that, right? And so like, to me, it's like, yes, I so relate to that. And the second truth is that, you know, there are some causes to that. We get scared, we're there's greed, anger, and ignorance that we get greedy. We just like keep racing to the next thing. We keep, you know, scrolling through Instagram as if we're going to find something. We're going to 
you know, if we just do the next teaching or the next whatever, read a certain book or whatever that is, that'll be the answer. And he's like, nope. And the anger, just like feeling like, why aren't things going the way I want them to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like who like who can't relate to that mm-hmm. right right of course and you know delusion like you know we're feeling many of us you know feel like why is this all happening to me how come it's not working out for me the delusion of separateness you know like where we, we don't actually have that sense of connection and love and we forget And then the third noble truth is that, you know what? You can get out of that. You can get out of that cycle where we're just like going round and round and driving ourselves crazy. And, you know, it hurts. And and it causes that sadness. And so then the fourth one is the fateful path. And so it's these really beautiful teachings of that really have to do with our own ethics, discipline, and wisdom. You know, it kind of just makes sense. All right, we have to be attuned with our own ethics. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara and it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free and it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards, so no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order. You know, and not a moralistic way, but actually, again, what we care about. And what we feel like is correct. May I add something to this? Because I know, especially this, totally, the society I lived in, I I live in, I notice. um, And I mean, I I know that this is everywhere, but people are, of course, taught morals and ethics. Maybe it's the church they go to or whatever's in, in their household. And in some things, I'm like, is that really, truly what you stand for deep down. Of course, a lot of it is beautiful and feels like it's the purest, truest human experience. But some of it is also like, is that is that something that you truly believe in or was this just taught? And it's interesting to navigate that area of what do you truly believe and what has been taught? Mm, exactly. Because there's such a huge difference, yeah. right? And so, and that's one of the reasons I love but path too, because it's, 
you know, he was very clear. This is not a dogma, people. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. try it out and find actually what's true for you. Yeah. Don't don't listen to it just because I say. But to me, that's why I think these teachings are just so wide. And yeah. why? Why? It's because it's just like, oh, right. If I want to get out of my stinky <laughs> hole of suffering entangled up all right ethics some discipline and some wisdom are you know not a bad combo right right it's kind of in a way logical you know like all right i have to actually get clear about oh man this is such a drag when i keep you know perpetuating these behaviors that actually tend to leave me feeling more lonely, anxious, and depressed. Right. And it will transform your life or transmute into something else that is not that what you really were calling in or asking exactly. for. Exactly. Weighs heavy on you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the Eightfold Path is really about understanding, really getting clear about how we do that pattern. You know, how are we thinking? You know, because often we kind of believe whatever we're thinking is a truth. And so like learning how to get clear about even how to think about how we're thinking. Like I often sometimes <laughs> talk about this in the book, you know, I was, you know, at home and with my husband and he was in front of the refrigerator and I like lost my mind because I was like suddenly in a rush to like get to the refrigerator for some reason. Mm -hmm. I have that experience too. <laughs> and he was like in front of the refrigerator and it felt like the greatest crime that had ever been committed. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I felt like suddenly I was like Godzilla. Was like, and, and all this all happened in like two seconds. I was like, oh yeah, I can't believe you're doing that. Why are you doing that to me? In my head. Mm-hmm. I realized, oh, I could just move his hips and like get move him out of the way and get the soy milk. <laughs> it sounds so simple. Yeah, in that moment, it was a but lot. It, but if I had verbalized those things, it would have caused this huge fight. Right. But I just like like learning how to see like, wow, my thoughts are crazy. <laughs> and sometimes like like our thoughts are totally cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Like they don't make any sense. Any sense? Nope. And really, like, like nothing was going on, <laughs> right? Except my crazy thoughts, and so that's why I love these teachings. And you know, so like, in the other ones, there's like right speech about like how you talk to someone. Like sometimes, like if I had spoken those words at that time, it would have been crazy, right? Or if as he was leaving, you know, you know, it wouldn't be helpful, and so to really think about what we're saying, you know, and there's that beautiful teaching of like, is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind, you know, do, do we mm, really need to say yeah. this? Isn't that Byron Katie? And, and the Buddha before her. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> a right speech it's so important right like how and then also like what we're doing with our in right action is another one you know what we do like what do you actually one of my favorite things to do is when you're walking down the street with right action is like just check out who else is actually walking down the street and it sounds like a an innocuous thing but i find we live in new york city and which is an amazing place to live. And you have a great people watching abilities. <laughs> totally. But like most, no, it's rare. Like most people are not walking down the street. They're, they're there. Their bodies are moving, but they're on their phone. Right. They're not even aware of their surroundings. And it's right. so amazing to walk down the street 
while you're walking down the street because then you'll notice the other people. And it's so much fun because you see them and, and you both look at each other like, hey, you're walking down the street. It's like that right action to me. It's like that simple. Like when you're actually where you are. Well, absolutely. Because I catch myself sometimes, especially driving more so because, uh, I mean, this is a walking area where you walk around to get exercise, right? But you're not walking mm-hmm. to the grocery store. You're driving to the grocery store. You're driving wherever, you know, because everything is so spaced out. And so I, I notice that with driving, sometimes I'm just on autopilot. I'm not even paying attention. And I have to snap myself into the present moment. Right. Um, when I become aware of it, does that mean I always become aware of it? No. Mm-hmm. But if I do notice it, then got to snap back into it. And I usually just observe. But I mean, Utah's so beautiful. So the beauty around me. Right. And are you taking it in, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes as well, though, just the view captures me. Like I'm on autopilot and then something is just, it draws you in. Something gorgeous. Yes. But let's say I'm on the streets of New York City or when I lived in L.A. or just walking around. Yeah, you can easily be on autopilot. Mm-hmm. I think my mind, though, I love to people watch. I, it might even be a little creepy how much I people watch. <laughs> but I love to see what other people are like. Now I want to watch you. <laughs> it's fun, though. It's fun, especially at the airport. And then just kind of sometimes I create these narratives in my mind about people's right. lives. <laughs> that's awesome it reminds me actually of this great story of the zen teacher who lived in this little town in japan Uh and these two people who were going to move to his little town wanted to see him but they didn't know each other so one was visiting him and she said oh you know what's your town like i'm moving here from a different place and he said well, tell me about where you're from. And she said, oh, it's terrible. Everyone's so mistrusting. And, you know, it's kind of, it's not so great. And he said, oh, this place is just like that. And she was like, okay. And then the next person comes to see him and said, oh, I'm moving here. And what's this town like? And he said, oh, tell me about what, where it's from. Where are you from? And he said, and he said, oh, it's so great. Everyone's so friendly. And so I was a little sad to leave and everyone's so connected in a beautiful community. He's like, oh, it's just like that here. So, you know, it's like that beautiful teaching about wherever you are, there you are. Yes. And I think it's just really important, you know, like that how often we bring our own attitude in those lenses that we are wearing, you know, informs so much of what we're doing absolutely i mean we all are walking around in our own little paradigms with like you said our own lenses and observe the world completely differently but what if what if it is the same as how i feel for example when i'm in bali or when i'm in tode japan or when i'm in uh, new york you know what if just being in utah in this little town is like that and it could be so interesting isn't it it is (laughs) (laughs) so the eightfold path do you mind spelling out the eight the eight of the eightfold path i'm totally ready okay yeah so so we talked about some of them so one is right right understanding one is right thought okay right thought okay yeah and they all have right right speech Mm -hmm. right action right livelihood Mm-hmm. right effort which i love mm-hmm. right mindfulness and right concentration hmm. i'm curious about all of them they're juicy they're juicy <laughs> yes <laughs> they totally are and then that's why i wanted to spend like you know that's what this book is really kind of focusing on taking some time yeah. with each one and really walking together through them so that we can look at both the challenges of them and the beauty of them because we i always feel like the joy of life is really that between those two things is where Mm -hmm. the between the beauty and the terror that is life is our lives which one did you find the most challenging well for me your own life experience i think for me the most challenging 
early on was discipline, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it's really the, which is right effort, you know, and it's really like I would, cause I really wanted to pick and choose a lot. Like, I don't feel like it now. I don't feel like it now. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go to a movie or watch Netflix or whatever <laughs> that is, yeah. or I want to go hang out with this friend or whatever that is. And I would find like, you know how like the Buddha was sitting under that tree. Like I felt like, I was getting those distractions and following them. <laughs> right. Going this way, going that way. And I realized. Sure, many of us can relate. <laughs> yes, yep. it's very popular. <laughs> yeah, it's all the rage distraction. And, uh, and I realized at a certain point that I realized that I was not really getting intimate. That I was still remembering that story, you know, like, talking to my friend Liz on the street and saying like, all right, how am I really getting to know myself if I keep getting distracted? And so I realized, all right, we're just going to slow it down here. Slow it down and start. And I made this vow when I was in my 20s. And I said, all right, I need to get serious at a certain point because I was not knowing how to do this right effort thing. And because I was like, I'm, there's this great poem that starts, the great way is not difficult for those who don't cling to their preferences. And I realized I was having a difficult time because I was clinging to my preferences. Yeah, right? so. I totally understand that too. <laughs> I was like grabbing on to those preferences like nobody's business. Yep, yep, yeah. And so so in Zen, sometimes they say, you know, practice something for 30 years and then evaluate how it's going. Whoa. Exactly. That was my thought. And so I said, 30 years <laughs> feels a little extreme. And so but I said, all right, what if I did 10 years? Okay. So I, I'm going to practice and show up for all the practice at the Zen Center. It was like three times a week and doing all the retreats and all the different things. And just see what that's like for 10 years. Just like center that. Just, and it actually wasn't like this, it seemed like a huge commitment. And I think it is a big commitment, but it actually wasn't, what was interesting, it wasn't that much time in a certain way. It was like, but I began to really see how I would almost like squirm when those periods of time that I said that I was going to show up came around because I think, oh, I'm a little tired. Yeah. It's raining. Yeah. It's yeah. Your mind comes up <laughs> with so, all the excuses. I understand <laughs> that too. I totally understand that too. I think I need to floss. And, uh, so I just really realized that, okay, I'm going to use all of these as a practice opportunity and to learn how to feel the preference and say like, okay, I understand I want that and I'm going to do this anyway. And that taught me over time at moments, it was excruciating, but mostly it felt delicious because I began to just rest in a commitment to something bigger than myself. And I began to get a little bit more out of my own way, which actually felt amazing over time, over time. Right. <laughs> to be clear, it was, you know. Of course, it takes time. It takes, it takes time. time. Yeah. But you recognize that voice. In a sense, it's the excuse voice or it's just the narrative that is trying to hold you back in some way, shape or form. And you recognized it. Big time. Big time. And it was really amazing to really wrestle with it. You know, then a lot of like kind of great spiritual stories and other stories. What you realize is that everyone, first of all, has lots of help. And so I also you know, found that the more dedicated I was, the deeper relationships I had, both people who are at the Zendo, 
but also everywhere in my life, I began to have more meaningful conversations. And because I was learning how to stay in a deeper way with myself. So then I could learn how to stay in deeper relationship with my friends and family right. and loved ones. Right. And be yeah. really present with them. Does your husband as well go to the New York Zen Center or interested in Buddhism or yes. what you were talking about? Yes. So do yes. you help each other along your path? We totally we challenge do. each other. Totally. Really? I would say like number one challengers and supporters. Of course. Yeah. Ugh, that's the goal. Yeah. Because like any, any good relationship, you're both challenging each other inspiring each other and getting to know each other as we keep changing because you know who we were when we wow. met 22 years ago yeah we're di we're different now yeah and we're evolving and he's you know he and i actually co-founded our center together it's a total adventure that's amazing that you co-founded it together i'm curious what it entails so why do people go to the new york zen center what do they seek what is it like well it's i would say it's mostly a very loving and loving place that where we are quite serious without putting serious on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so the connection with people is the most important and people come here to practice Zen, um, which is meditation practice. And people come here to train in what we call contemplative care and contemplative medicine. So people who want to serve and look at caring for other people, whether in prisons or in hospitals or hospices, and they come to learn how to, you know, deepen their practice of integration of what they care about and what they're actually doing with their life. And we also train in our contemplative medicine fellowship doctors from around the world in the same kind of path about how to integrate what's going on inside of them, their intrapersonal business, as well as their interpersonal relationships and their clinical work. And so actually doctors are, you know, in some ways, one of the most unhealthy professions. They have the highest rates of suicide and divorce and drug and alcohol addiction. And so we're really bringing lots of care and nourishment to them oh that is beautiful yeah. i have chills they yeah. need one in here in utah <laughs> what are the benefits and methods of uh contemplative care in medicine that's what it's called right mm -hmm. yeah well it's it's actually very grounded in the four noble truths so we really start with the benefits are that they you know, really get to discover where their tangle is, what their struggle is, and what the causes of those struggles are. And in community, we really learn how to pivot together and walk that eightfold path of ethics and wisdom and compassion together. And so that we can, we can't really do it alone. You know, we can't do this life alone. And I think many of us, you know, before COVID-19, there was the, they had just announced that there's a loneliness pandemic. And so people are quite isolated. Even people in marriages and, and families are still feeling quite isolated. And so we're doing our part to provide some good nourishing medicine well thank that. you for doing that because it is a pandemic or an epidemic and if you want to share any tools or one tool that you have used to perhaps help people with their loneliness and that experience of just feeling totally alone yeah well one of our guiding teachers Tarana Lodog who's this incredible physician and human you know she and Chodo myself are are the guiding teachers of the contemplative medicine fellowship and she's a primary care physician and so I will give you one of her tools that she gives her patients. So when she comes in, when people come in for a consult with her, she says, you know, so who are the five people who will be here for you no matter what? And often what she hears is, mm, 
maybe my brother, but he's really busy and people are coming up short fast. And so what she says is like, so let's write a prescription for why don't you start with one or two people and we're going to work towards having five. So learn how to have a nourishing relationship. So learn how to show up for other people and develop those relationships. So which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, find the people that you respect and care about and learn how to have nourishing relationships so that you can be there for them and they can be there for you. Oh, that is so important. And to, I mean, it's nice to also quantify with the idea of, okay, I have one person, but the goal, or not the goal, but just I'd like to be able to have five people I have a very nourished and blossoming mm. relationship with. I love that. Oh, really? mm. Do you have time for a quick rapid fire? Go, Raquel. Okay, wait, before I do, do you have any oh, other boom. messages? Go, oh, go, boom, go. Boom. Do you have any other messages, though, that come to heart? Yes. Appreciate your life. Yes. Because it goes by quick. I remember my grandmother, as she was dying, she says, my goodness, it goes by quick. Oh, that is true. She said, you know, I can still remember being a girl. And now here I am in a hospice bed. I have chills. That's so don't, true. She's like, don't waste it. Wow. I appreciate your grandma for sharing that and for you relaying it. Me too. <laughs> so... Rapid fire. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Mm, matcha. Matcha. Matcha tea. A fave form of body movement. Mm. Boxing. Oh, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I love boxing. What a great way to release so much as well. So much fun. So much fun. Where is your favorite or where's your happy place? Right here. Mm. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. It's really true. Do you have a morning routine? Totally. It's complex. You ready? Okay. I'm I'm you ready? totally ready. I think so. I think I'm Buckle ready. your seatbelt. Okay, Raquel. wait, wait. Let me buckle up. Okay, now go. <laughs> so, actually before I open my eyes, I, I do this actually Jewish practice where I reflect on five things that I feel deeply appreciative for so i think about whatever that is the earth the choto you know the world itself and then i open my eyes and then i get going and it like completely changes everything and so then i'm like ready to roll we have two huge maine coon cats who are like 22 pounds so they must they must and demand to be fed first. So we, we do that. And uh, then I uh, brush my teeth, enjoy that. And then I work out for about half hour, 45 minutes. Do a little combo, stretching, boxing, little situation. Sometimes I go down the stairs for a swim and we have this amazing pool. And then a delicious breakfast, usually just oatmeal. And then I sit at seven, by 7.30, I sit with our community uh, for half an hour of meditation. And we do that on Zoom. So it's like amazing. There's like people in Italy, there's everywhere. And we all sit in our, wherever we are. And then I start my day. And so like, to me, starting your day out with like that kind of what sets you up for like some delicious nourishment, then I feel like so ready for anything. Ooh, that is delicious. Oh, one last thing. Okay. Tell me. Ready? Yes. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, I, you know, many years ago, actually about 22 years ago, I worked in emergency department. Wow. In the hospital. And what I learned there was that almost all the loved ones would come in for, to attend to people that they cared about, who experienced things that they did not ex expect that day. And almost all of them talked about, I can't believe we left angry or I didn't even say goodbye or mostly these stories of unfulfilled mornings, Oof, right? Chills. 
Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, for the last 22 years, before I leave the house, so Chota usually is like still sleeping. Mm-hmm. He's like a late sleeper. Mm-hmm. I go. Is that your husband? Yeah. Yeah. He's my mm. delicious man. And so I like, I go, I go <laughs> in and I hold his face with both of my hands and kiss him and tell him all the things that I love about him in that moment. Oh, oh my gosh. Because my heart. Because I never want to actually leave the house without telling him. Because actually, I don't assume that I'll see him again. Wow. And I really want that moment to be complete. And it feels amazing. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Some people might think it's, it's dark. So, it's I think so it's beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> like every day, like I've told him completely it's, how much yeah. I love him. Wow, he's lucky to have a husband like you. Mm. Wow, that's very sweet. Totally delicious. And I'm sure vice versa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the last question that I ask all the Euro Magic guests, Mm. how would you advise the Euro and Magic listeners to create their own magic? Mm. I would advise... Hmm. I always want to just pass on things that have been meaningful to me. And so this amazing woman, I wrote about her in the book too, Rose Tisnato, as she was dying. So I do a lot of work sometimes with people who know that they're dying. And, and she said, you know, I spent all these years holding back. Just promise me you won't hold back from living fully. So, so as and just, so it's a wonderful question. It's like, how can I live fully today or in this moment? It's such a great question. And, you know, very often, you know, dying people are always like, anyone who's worked with dying people, they always say this, almost the same things. Like nobody is like glad that they were busy or distracted their whole lives. But people are like, what was I so busy and distracted about? Why was I so afraid? What was all of that about? And so the opportunity is like, how do I live fully today? How can I extend beyond my fears and worries and distraction? Mm, So maybe that's the advice. How do just to have that question? How can I today go beyond my worries, fears and distraction? and do something delicious and nourishing. Amen to that. Aho to that. Amen. <laughs> I, oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> that is very true. And that is one thing that I also ask myself. I wonder what my 70-year-old self would say, what she would regret me not doing, not exactly. trying, not exploring in life. So I'm glad that you shared that. Mm. And... Yeah, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm so thankful and honored you came on the show today. There's so many golden nuggets in there. Oh, I'm so grateful you're for the invite. <laughs> Where can everyone connect with you? On the gram, uh, Paley Ellison at Sank. Sorry, Koshin Paley Ellison. And it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. And our website is zencare.org. And our book, I think also you'll have a link for that in the show notes. And I have a couple books and a new one coming out, which is called Untangled, Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion. And my last book was called Wholehearted, Slow Down, Help Out, and Wake Up. Mm. And so great opportunities to connect. Yes. Thank you so much, Sensei Koshin. This has been an amazing, very expansive and transformative conversation. So thank you so much. And yeah, it's an honor to chat with you. And I hope to chat with you again some other time. That would be fab, Raquel. That'd be fab. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, I would love that. Seriously, come on any time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yomis, that is a wrap. That is a wrap for this episode. I hope that something spoke deeply to you, expanded you in some way. Please let me know if so. You can catch me on Instagram at Raquel Mantra. I spell Raquel a different way than most, so you can see the spelling in the show notes. Or hang out with the Yomis, the like-minded, very conscious and expansive and helpful souls on the Euro Magic Facebook group. 
especially a place to turn to when it comes to, well, whatever you're going through. And there are several tools on the euromagic.life membership site. All right, well, thank you so, so much and have a magical rest of your day.